Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jessie theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created LaJoy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday again. So we have a guest with us this week. I have Johanna Burkhart. Hi. Hello. Hello. Welcome. I love that I get to like continue on this project during quarantine time, regardless, you know, I said, yeah, I was doing this remotely anyway, but it's like, I, I just get so excited to, I'm like a new person to talk to. (laughs) Social hour, social hour. I know. Social hour. Lock. Yes. Lock the door. (laughs) It's too early for the wine, but lock the door. Let's let's have a conversation. (laughs) Yes. I get to talk to somebody outside my house. Hi. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. So I like to have guests start off with, um, the, you know, telling telling us about yourself. I call it like the baseball card stats. What is there to know about you? What would you like to share with us before we hear your story? Okay. So um, obviously I'm Johanna Burkhart. I have lots of ego titles that I have given myself. So I have, I am a medium. Um, I am a quantum coach. Um, I'm a spiritual teacher and healer. Um, I am an author. I have authored um, a children's journal. Um, and I've been a co-author in a self-help book. And my third book will be my debut book. Um, you know, more of a self-help book, uh, will hopefully be in production sometime this year to get printed, um, and published. So that's in the works. Um, but I, I, I have lots of, of, of fun titles, but, um, I'm here to help people. I'm here to guide people. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I can't wait to learn about some of this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Oh, we're going to be learning stuff today. All right. So we usually start off with, after, you know, we hear a little bit about you. Um, we start with this like moment that you can identify. Um, maybe it's a big moment. Sometimes it's a little moment. Sometimes it's a private moment. Sometimes it's a public moment. Um, just where you can identify, like it's always with hindsight sometimes. Well, not always, but a lot of times it's in hindsight of like, Oh, this is when everything changed for me. All right. Would you like to tell us yours? Well, there's many defining moments in my life. Um, I, I really believe that I was here to endure pain so that I could create a new way for other people to move through because you don't have to have a bad childhood to be riddled with trauma as an adult. And that's a real big misconception. So, but I grew up as that with the trauma of the child. I had the abandoned mom. I had, um, you know, the, the abusive stepmother. I, I had the horrific things that happened and I survived all of that. And, and, you know, honestly, as an adult, I never even really put too much energy into it because I had disassociated from it so much. You know what I mean? You just kind of, you're like, no, we're not going back there. I'm just going to keep going forward, you know? Right. Kind of like I made it past that. We're not talking about that. We're just going to bury it. We're just going to, no, that's going to stay buried way down. Oh, I bet. I bet that worked out really well. It did. Oh, (laughs) it worked out so well because here's the thing. You can't outrun your problems, right? So what you don't face will return. And that's what happened to me. And, um, the big shift in my life, if you want to call it that, because that's when, like, that's when like everything shifted was, was when 2015 was for me. 
Um, actually, let me take that back. It was in 2013, but the major, the major pivotal moment was 2015. So I was raised by my dad most of my life. And he was my, he was my God. He was my heart. He was my everything. We were very attached we were very together. Um, and because we developed that, that strong, almost codependent, it was actually very codependent relationship. We were very entangled. You know, he was my security. He was my safety. He was the thing I always knew would be there for me, no matter what crazy things I did in my life. And so in 2013, I had moved across country. I lived in San Diego my whole entire life and I sold everything I owned and I left my job in corporate and I packed up my car and I drove to North Carolina. And um, this isn't the defining moment, but I need to kind of set the stage. So in 2013, that's when I moved. Within two months of that happening, my grandmother, who was my pretty much my mother since my mother walked away when I was young, told the family that she is sick and that she had been sick for like seven years and didn't tell anybody. So she waited till I moved to tell me this because she knew I wouldn't have moved if I knew. And um, so two months later, I was back home and I had to handle her affairs because she passed away. Um, and that began what I call my, that began my awareness that I was in the middle of a spiritual awakening, you know, because my grandma started showing up for me, things like that. So anyway, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep trucking forward. You know, again, not, I, I handled that. I pulled my big girl panties up. I, I was like mom mode. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to control it do all those things. 2015 rolls around. Life is fabulous, right? The height of my life. I'm thinking, this is why I came here. I started over. I had just gotten a $40,000 a year raise in the corporate environment that I was in. Now I had been an entrepreneur on and off my whole entire life, but I was back in corporate. I had a huge raise. I was engaged to be married. Um, we had just removed our house from our property and we were, we had, started a new home loan to, to put the house we wanted on our property. So we were preparing to be homeless for a little while and being a rental, you know? Um, and so we're like, all this good stuff started planning the wedding life is grand. And I'm like, gosh, everything is just falling into place. <laughs> Explosion. So we had a planned trip to go to San Diego. My daughter was getting ready to graduate high school because I moved in the middle of her high school career and she stayed back with her father. And we went out to watch her graduate. And um, it was the first time seeing my dad in about a year. I hadn't seen him even on video conference or Skype. You know, back then it, it was mostly Skype that was happening. And um, he had been really distant with me. And I knew he was having health issues. He was in and out of the hospital, but he wasn't telling me all the story. You know, he was being very distant, and which was very... And, and you know, and you, ladies, you know, you know, when you have that gut feeling inside you, something ain't right. And you're just like, but we don't listen to it. We just keep pushing it away. We're like, no, I don't want to dive into that. That's going to hurt. Like, I don't want to open that wound. I don't want to open that jar, you know? Yes. You don't. Yep. And so I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm, and I knew that day when I got on that plane, I knew I was mentally and emotionally preparing myself for what I was going to see. Right. And so the very next day, you know, I arrived that night and the next day I was staying next door to my dad's house at a friend's and I, I went over there and he was still sleeping and I looked at him and he looked like he had aged 30 years in like a very short amount of time. And, um, I realized in that moment how sick he was, you know? 
So we went through that, that, that weekend. He wouldn't let me take, or that I was there for like a week. He wouldn't let me take him to the doctor. He wouldn't let me do anything. He just was whatever. So when we left, I told my husband and we were on the plane. I said, I know I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back really fast. And I know that this is going to be different this time. It's going to be bad. You guys, I was home 24 hours. I went to work. I got home next day. I went to work. I walk in. I'm like, first day, new position. Got this big raise. I'm like, ready to dive in. Phone rings. Pick up the phone. There it went. And I found out he was found in the street. He was very sick. He, he, you know, he had liver failure. And so he went, when you have liver failure, there, these, this chemical is induced into you and it puts you in an altered state of consciousness. And so you, you, you literally are accessing what we would call when you're spiritually awake, you're accessing that the realm you don't see the loved ones, all the people. So he was talking to people who weren't there. He was really out of his mind. He wasn't in his body at all. It was a, it was a very painful emotional thing that you can't control whatsoever, right? You just have to watch this and think, oh my God, how do I handle this? So this began the year of health for me because in that moment I had to, I had to say to my boss who had just given me a promotion. I, uh, I had to say, listen, I got to go and I don't know when I'm going to be back. I got to go. And I got on a plane the next day and I was out there and he was given four months to live. Yeah. So in that time, I had a couple of, I, I, I spent the next three weeks after I got that diagnosis when I got there. Now, now mind you, he is in his early 50s, so he's not old. Mm -hmm. So I had to retire him from a work that he's lived, he's worked for 35, 40 years. I had to sell my childhood home. I had to clean out everything he's ever purchased and owned in his whole life, stuff that he has worked his whole life for, and, and this, this, and you'll understand why this is so, this was such a pivotal thing. Cause I want you guys to really hear my words. He worked his ass off. I hope it's okay to cuss. He worked. Oh, please. Yes. His <laughs> ass off his whole entire life for these things. And in a second, they were all gone. I basically had to give them away because I had no time here. I'm like, I got to get back. I'm, I got a house. I got a wedding. I got, I'm in fix it mode. Right. I'm like, I'm going to handle the world. I got it all. So in three weeks I sold this house. I retired him. Um, he was in and out of the hospital in that three weeks. And I did all of this, transferred all of his affairs, everything and sold his house. Literally the house sold in that time and moved him to cross country. So here I am, I had to scramble to find a rental. So we, luckily we had a friend who has a, uh, cause I live, it's all islands on the Southern Outer Banks. And so they had a beach, like a second home rental, you know? So we got to stay in their home. I had to move them in there. So here we are, not even in my own home. I have the sick man. So I get back. It's been three weeks. I take an extra week off. Now we're at four weeks. I go back into work and I walk in and there's a box on my desk. They fired me. <gasps> so here I am again, middle of playing a wedding. I don't, I'm in the middle of a home loan. It has not closed yet. The house is not built yet. I have, I am the breadwinner in my family. I have now zero income. I have no home. I can't finish planning my wedding. I have no money. And I'm like, oh my God, you you're firing me for taking care of my family. But I work for a real estate company and we're beach rentals. So busiest time of the year, I'm not there. Summertime. No compassion. Let me go. So after that moment, can I did when did they make that decision? Like, did that was that box sitting on there? 
for two weeks or something waiting for you to come back? I don't know. To be honest, I remember pleading and begging them. Listen, I'm in the middle of a home loan. Like I have all this going on that I can't do this. Like you can't do this to me. What kind of people are you? I mean, I was in tears, like begging and pleading, please don't do this to me. You're literally ruining my life. You know, I was in, I was in major victim mode. Um, and I don't know when they did it, but their, their reasoning was, um, I didn't check in with them enough. I wasn't giving them the play by play every day of when I was expected to come back and what was happening. And I thought, you know, that was the least of my freaking problems. I needed someone to have my back, you know, and my boss at the time, his wife had, he had lost his wife to cancer. So I thought of all people he would understand, but you know how that goes. So I go back home and I've now I've gone from this complete utter power over take control of the situation to this complete and utter power under of defeat and um I'm not enough and I'm worthless and I have nothing and now I have to take care of this sick man I have to watch the love of my life lose my father die in front of me and I can't do anything about it so I just all put all my energy instead of self-care and love to me because I was grieving I knew what was coming I was grieving and instead of grieving and being with him and experiencing and, and, and just enjoying every moment and drinking up every moment of wisdom that I could pull out of that man in that time, I shut down and I separated myself and I became the, the wicked wedge nurse. I was no longer his daughter, right? And his spirit had already left. I mean, this was a, a core of a very sick man that remained, you know? So here we're going through this. And then by the grace of God and hit sale of my dad's home and everything, he was able to cover the difference. So we didn't lose our home. We had to do some rearranging financially. The home ended up getting built. We ended up moving in. It was later than normal. The wedding, the wedding went down. Um, but the wedding, the wedding went down um, three days after the wedding. Had the wedding three days later, right? Now, no more planning the wedding. I, it's another big thing I can set down. The house is, everything's fine with the house. This house is almost done. Three days later, I decided I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm gonna take dad with me. I'm like, let's go. Let's just get out of the house for a little while. Feeling good. Yeah, feeling right? good. Like, yeah. like pressure's off. Wedding's done. Right. Like I can just. I love that we, what you were saying before was wedding was down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like down. It's down. It's all done. <laughs> yeah, good. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, you get in that mode of, okay, I can relax now. I can breathe. Like things are good. So I'm like, let's get out of the house. Let's go to the store. Well, I'm just driving and you know, this is all back roads. So we have to go over a couple of bridges and it's all beautiful and I'm driving. It's a good 20 minutes to the grocery store. All of a sudden I start feeling this tingling in my, in my lip. And then it was a little tingling on my chin. I'm like, what is happening here? It's like numbness. Like when your hand falls like, like a dent, uh, like dentist, right? Yeah. Like Novocaine. Uh -huh. So I'm thinking, okay, this is weird, but I'm, whatever. I'm going to keep driving, go to the store. I start noticing that it starts moving. It starts coming down. Feeling. Was it still here? Yeah. Uh, too? Yep. Okay. So now so I got. So it's like whole, spreading. Now this, this, this whole half of my face from about uh, right underneath my eye socket down to about my shoulders is numb. And I'm thinking, okay. So I'm kind of pushing it a little faster now. Okay, dad, like, you know, let, let's go back, you know? So we start heading, we get out and we start heading back. And I notice that I'm driving that my hand's numb now, my arm's numb, my hand's numb. And I'm, it's starting to slowly move down my, my body all on the left side, not on the right, only on the left. And I'm thinking, oh my God, something's wrong with me. I can't pull over and call 911. 
he can't drive home. He can't drive. He, he don't even know where he is half the time. So I'm like, I, I, I'm thinking, should I go to a fire station? I can't do that. How's he going to, like, I, I, my, all my concern was not on me. It was on him. So I drove him all the way home, unpacked all of the groceries, put it all away, got him situated. By that time, how my whole half, whole left side of my body is completely numb. And I call the nurse helpline. <laughs> hey, ma'am. So, you know, this is what happened. She's like, um, you're probably having a stroke. You need to call 911. I'm like, really? Okay. I love that you're in mom mode. You're like, I got to take I gotta, yeah. you know, that's away. What we, what like, I was programmed yeah, to do my whole life. My mom left. It was time. I had to be the mom. So that was my pattern. That's my go-to trauma. Oh, got to be the mom. Let me be the, be the, the caretaker here and just forget about myself. So I call 911. And I call my husband. And I'm like, I just called 911. I had to give him like the rundown real fast. And like, you need to come here and be with my dad. And he's like, no, I need to be with you. Right. So I go to the hospital. Now, mind you, we're in a small town, so we don't have like neurosurgeons. Right. So they come in and they're looking at me and they're doing these these tests, like move your arm and do this. And can you feel that? And then, then this robot pulls up. Literally, it was a robot walking like a like Doogie Howser. Like kind a of rolling. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the screen appears and there's this neurosurgeon from, I don't know, probably another hospital. And they start doing these tests and they're like, you've had a stroke. You've had a stroke. Wow. And so here it is three days after my wedding, my husband and I had to make a life changing decision in that moment. Do you want to take this clot buster drug? Because this clot buster drug, if, if that's what the stroke is, there's this clot and we want to move the clot so you don't lose all your feeling in the half of your body. And it, it's, a, it's a really big risk because you can die just from taking the clot buster. Like, it's serious. So here we are. He's like, he's freaking out because I'm the rock in, my, in the family, right? He doesn't, he's emotionally like, I don't know what to do here. And so he's freaking out. And so we go through this and we decide to do it. I get three days, I get transferred to Vidant, which is the closest major hospital. I was put in ICU for three days. They ran like 35 bazillion tests. I mean, every scan, every test that could be done, they did on me. But here's the kicker. The minute um, they were about to, like within minutes of them about to give me that drug, all the symptoms disappeared. What? So here I was now three days in ICU. They, I'm not having a stroke. Now they have to watch me because they've given me a clot buster. And now they're scanning every ounce of my body and doing all of these tests because they're like, we don't know what happened. So because they couldn't figure it out, by the way, it, it was energy. It was, it was, it was something beyond me. It wasn't anything wrong with me, but because they couldn't figure it out, they labeled me as having seizures. They said, I can't find a, a logical reason why you're sick. So we're going to give you one and we're going to give you medicine and that's going to be it. So here I was, I was on antidepressants. I was on anti-anxieties and now I'm taking medication for seizures. And all of that medication um, put me into an even deeper depression, right? Because now I basically have no motor function. I'm just a, I'm a shell of being there. So three more, three more months go by. And um, at this point, I, I'm living in my bed. I'm crying every day. I'm totally not there. I'm drinking like a fish to medicate. And I'm just totally shut down. My dad passes away. And it was literally within days of him passing away that every 
horrible childhood memory that I blocked out all came flooding back. Because my security and my stability and the person that I was attached to and anchored to was no longer there. And it just ripped that open. And I went into a really deep, that anchored me into what I call the dark night of the soul. It took me so deep that I, I was down there and every now and then my husband would make me go out and I would go somewhere and I had to put on that mask of I'm okay, you know, and I had, um, at this point I had, I was deep in an MLM. I was selling unique because I didn't have a job and I needed something to get me out of bed. And so I was doing that. So like once or twice a week, I'd show up and I would look cheerful and I'd put makeup on. I got really, really good at wearing the masks. So literally there was like two people in the whole world besides my kids who knew that I was at the bottom of the ocean. I was at the bottom of the well. And I couldn't do it anymore. And it got to a point where I would start posting positive quotes and stuff on Facebook. And my husband would say to me, you're a hypocrite because you're posting these positive, uplifting things and you're laying in bed crying. And it was like, what he didn't realize at that time was I was posting those for me. I wasn't posting those for anybody else. Right, right. But it came to it all came to a head because I couldn't do that anymore. And now we have moved into 2016, and it was a few months in, and I had been in therapy, and I had been seeing, uh, you know, people was changing my drugs. And he said, "You need to go back and have your drugs changed." And I said, "I can't go back. I can't go back to them." And, and he didn't understand why. He's like, "There's something wrong with you. You have to get on your medication." I said, "I can't do it. I was so afraid." And he said, "Why?" And I said, "Because I signed a waiver, and that waiver said that if you." have suicidal thoughts, we are going to straitjacket you. And you're giving us permission to do that. I said, well, I can't go back because I wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore, but I hadn't said it out loud. I hadn't. And my husband just fought with me emotionally right there. And I cracked and I said, I don't want to live anymore. Wow. Yeah. But in the moment of calling it out by its name and saying, I don't want to live the light came on. And I was like, it was like this presence bigger than me came into me and was like, you want to live. You do want to live. And this has to die for the, for you to live. This has to die. And so that day, everything changed for me. Now, does it mean that next day I woke up and I was cheerful and I was like, hey, let's go do this? No, <laughs> no. I had literally... I woke up the next day and I was flipping through social media and I saw this quote and I printed it out on an eight by 10 piece of paper and I taped it to the side of my bed on the wall where I laid so I could see it when my eyes opened and I read it every single day. And it was basically a quote that told you to get up, put your pants on and do something. It didn't mean you had to go create the world. You had to get out of bed. And that's how I started. I started with itty bitty small steps. And I just took one step at a time, one step forward. And what I realized in that time was that this all had to happen. My whole entire life, all the abuse, all of the abandonment, all of the things that were terrible, all the marriages, because this was my third marriage, you know? All of everything that's ever happened to me, none none of that mattered. It created me. 
And I was able, I was on a path to find joy. I was on a path to find peace and to feel free and to feel secure within myself, right? Because the world is uncertain. We think because we have a home and we have a job that pays us money that that's certainty. Well, as you guys are well aware of as what we, we're going yeah, through I was about right to say, now, we're all, yep. <laughs> nothing is certain. So your security of a husband or a wife, your security of a job or a business, your security of your home and your car is all false illusions. It's stuff that you anchored in and created and said, this is, this is what defines my stability. This is what defines my security and my freedom and who I am. And all of that had to be ripped open and ripped away so that I could see that the only thing that mattered was me. The security I felt within me, the safety I felt within me, the loving that I felt for me, right? It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter what anybody else did. It didn't matter because what I learned very quickly over that next year of diving deep into personal development, right, was, and I found my way out of it, was I am the creator of my reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am a walking beacon. And the more I repress and not face and not sit with, and the more that I do that, the more that consumes and overwhelms my body. And no matter how I project it, no matter what my mindset was, no matter what I was pretending to be or what mask I was wearing, these things kept happening to me and I couldn't figure it out why. And I had to go back to that year of my life and say, when we don't face and feel and be with what's happening, if we're not present in those traumatic moments, if we're not present in the life-defining moments to understand that this is a moment of surrender, this is a moment of saying, I'm not in control. I am the creator of my reality, but that creation lies in my ability to respond to what's happening. So what saved my life that year and helped me basically become the quantum guide that I am and, and dive into all these other things was my ability to take responsibility for myself, for my emotions, for my mindset, for the life that I was living. I was no longer a victim of anything. Mm -hmm. You had to own it. I had to own it. And there, there became my mission was to show everybody that it doesn't matter what's happened to you. That was there to create you, not to harm you, not to hurt you. You're, you didn't have a wrath of God. It's not karma. Right. It's none of those right. things, right? Is there karma involved? Sure. But it's not what most people think. And it's more of a, those things happen. They were defining moments in your life, but how you choose to respond to those defining moments in your life is how your path is created forward. Because to be honest, most of it, most of my students anyway, they're living the same cycle over and over again. Uh -huh. Yes. And it's got to, you got to throw like the stick in those spokes. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a moment, there's a pivotal moment that I have found where one pat, where the pattern comes to an end and it, it's like a, it's like a web and you come to that crossroads and you look and you say, this is familiar. It doesn't feel good all the time that maybe that person isn't the greatest, but I know it. And so because it's familiar and it's safe and it's comfortable, we end up going back into it because the other, the other road is uncertainty. It's unfamiliar. We don't know what's going to happen, right? And if you're living from your human aspect of yourself, that ego part of you, that ego is designed to protect you. It's meant to be that survival mechanism. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
the the reptilian brain. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. and that's the whole thing is and the ego's not a bad thing. We have to have an ego to be human. We absolutely have to have an ego to be human. So it's about learning how to put the ego into work for you instead of letting the ego run the ship. And so it, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's such, there's so like, there's so many topics that we can dive into, but it, it's so <laughs> yeah. crazy. But for me, I mean, seriously, you guys, it, one, what I'll give you right now is, is, is a really good tip. I actually just got done teaching a class on patterns, but the, the very best advice that anybody ever gave to me and, and I know it because I did it before I even received this advice and I didn't even realize it was claiming it was, was calling it out by its name. So even now today, when I feel disempowered, when I feel like a failure or I feel sad or I feel anxious or what scared, whatever, I call it out. I say, I hear you. I hear you're scared. I hear you're being triggered. I hear you're really afraid of what's coming next. You know, this is really scary. I talk to it like it's a child inside of me. I say, I hear you. I see you. I understand you. And guess what? You are safe. Yeah. Because that's the root thing of everything, you guys, is feeling safe. Yeah. It's not getting rid of those feelings. No. That's not the way. Mm -mm. Ignoring, I've, I don't know how many times I've put a message out on my social media of like, you can feel anxious right now. Everyone is. It's okay. You are not less than for feeling anxious. This is a very anxious time. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Because if you don't feel it, you it it becomes to it will consume you whether you realize it or mm -hmm. not. Realize it or not, it mm -hmm. will consume you, and that will be your main vibration. People talk about law of attraction. Your body is the biggest beacon you have, and so here's what my spirit team has taught me, and I've used. We have, I love, I love the, <laughs> the, um, most people are familiar with the arousal cycle, right? So the arousal cycle, when we're talking about orgasms and things like that, there's, a, there's a spark, there's a buildup and hopefully there's a finish, right? <laughs> hopefully cycles around. It goes around and when you finish, <laughs> right, you lay there for a minute and it just like takes your body over and you're like, wash. Oh, uh -huh. anyway. the, yes. Okay. Yes. Now, yep. so my team said, let's take that. And um, this is when they, I was learning somatic healing and they said, this is, it's not the arousal cycle. It's the emotional digestion cycle because your emotions have to be digested the same way food is. It has to be. And those raw emotions, they become the fuel for your driving force, your engine right? Your solar plexus. So it is in sitting with and feeling those emotions and allowing yourself to not be a victim of them, but just say, you know what? It's okay for me to feel right now. And taking that time, going into a safe place, right? A safe space in your home and allowing yourself to just sit there and cry or be angry or whatever it is you're feeling and just allow it to be exposed. And in doing so, you may feel exhausted afterwards, right? You might have that, like, it's like running a marathon. You're going to lay on the ground and be like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Or even I, I get therapy exhaustion right. or therapy headache, headaches. I get headaches after therapy because it's feeling the stuff, literally feeling yeah. it. And so you, you, you have those moments of this is over, it's done. And, and then all of a sudden it's like you have made space inside of you because as you feel and do that, right? That, that feeling it, that sitting with it, that is you digesting the emotions, whether you realize it or not, you don't even have to do anything with them. 
You just have to feel them. Mm-hmm. Just not ignore them. Because that's what, we're not afraid of anything, but we are afraid of feeling everything. Oh, yeah. Let's, I'm, I'm... I couldn't repeat it if again. I yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's what happens when you, when you but right? you have to feel it and you feel it and that becomes your fuel and you feel it and you allow it because that's the thing. This is the biggest misconception. The higher self or the light or the, the God presence, whatever it is that you want to call it, that comes in, it will not go below your heart chakra. It will not. It will not go play in the slums. It won't go mm-hmm. down into the dirt. <laughs> it won't do it. So you, as the human, have to allow that energy to rise up into the heart to be accepted. All you have to do is accept yourself and what you are feeling in that moment. It's not forever. You're not forever sad. You're not forever angry. Just that moment. Well, that's another That's another great part of like, yeah, you, you are not your feelings. Yes. They are your fuel. Yeah, that's another part of it. Yes. They're there. And then they're going to go, you know, right. they're going to have a cup. They're going to have a cup of tea. We're going to hang out. We're going to, you know, blow our nose because we're crying and whatever. And then they're going to go home. It's a shortcut. You guys repressing it makes the creates the block. It creates the wall. It creates all the problems. It creates the cycles, mm-hmm. the lifelong. You know, it's funny. I don't know. Um, I, I'm writing my story out and that that is it I was like I had to go through it like the Robert Frost quote the best way out is through and like that's my like "Ah," you know and that's what we're um, doing here in the show is like it really was to everyone that I've talked to they had to go through Mm -hmm. this stuff you know and if they they haven't then well then there's not really a story to tell that's you're just still like suffering from yeah because whatever you create your own suffering suffering is self-obsession and i want you to think about this and i remember the first time that that i heard that because it's a a buddha quote and the first time i heard that i thought what yeah what yeah self-obsessed and i remember the first time telling my students that people were so triggered they were so not happy with me oh so triggered and i said well let me let me just let me just give you a visual because it's through the stories that we connect these issues right So think about anxiety. What does anxiety feel like? It feels like excessive energy all around you. It's like you're being smothered by energy that you can't see. You can only feel. So if you are making something about you, if you are taking any situation, like this pandemic, for example, a lot of people are taking this really personal. They're taking it really personal. This is about me, my rights, my this. Well, no, it's not. It's about collective, right? So but if you make it about you, you are what you're saying to the universe is all eyes on me. So all the energy comes to you when you let go of it and say, this is not about me. Yes, I'm experiencing this. Right. So whether whether it's a concert shooting, whether it's a big pandemic event, if it's a bank robbery, if it's a car accident. These things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And it's your ability to respond to what's happening that will create the next now moment. So literally, that's how you create. If you respond with anger, you're going to be calling in anger. If you respond in avoidance, then you're going to create the space and you're going to be separate. Everything you do or see outside of you and your relationships and your people and your environment is a reflection of what's deep inside of you that you aren't willing to take ownership for. So the universe says path of least resistance. I'm going to pull in a person who is going to trigger the crap out of you, who's going to mirror back the very thing that you're doing. 
And hopefully when you see that and you don't like that, you will take ownership and say, oh shit, I don't want to do that again. But rarely we do. We go into victim mode and we say, that's not fair. This person's triggering me or this person's a narcissist. Well, um, you have a choice. You can stay or you can change. And that's the big thing. You know, when we create our reality, we, we, we understand that what we're here to do is to be the change. We're not here to fix people. We're not here to save people. There is no savior. You are your savior. You are the Holy Grail. You are it. And anything in your reality is, this is why we're here. This is why we have this experience as a human. And this is where we go quantum because it's about, we designed this to experience ourselves through the reflection of our relationships, which it helps us to evolve and become more and more aware of our self. It's self-realization. And the more you become aware of yourself, the more you don't need a guru or a teacher or a, a coach or a therapist because you begin to use your reality as your mirrors and say, oh, I'm calling this. Hmm. Okay. Let me check inside here. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's how it's done. I mean, seriously, and this is why I always tell people, I don't want you to follow me forever. I don't want you to be a student of mine forever. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. Yep. Yes. I'm here to empower you yeah. and teach you how to do this yourself so that you can master yourself and then you can be the change simply in moms, the moms that are listening, because I'll get a lot of moms. Well, I don't have a plan to be a coach or I don't have a plan to be a guide or I don't have a coach to be a, he or a healer or mindful expert or whatever. I don't plan going into business for myself. So you have children that are watching you. You have people that are watching you. And we have, if you look at the root cycles that rule your life, and these are the bottom of the barrel, the very root, there's four ways to find this. And the first one is your core. So if you know how your mom was pregnant, like how was her pregnancy? Did she want you? Did she love you? Was she happy? Was there health problems? Because through that pregnancy, first, second, third trimester will play out in the first three, seven year cycles. So you have that. So there's your core. Okay. And so like for me, my mom didn't want me, right? So abandonment right off the bat, right? I'm in her belly. So I have the epigenetics. I'm absorbing her DNA. I, I'm feeling her emotions. So there's the emotional. And then the physical is the body. And then the third part is that chemical, right? So you got the chemical, physical, and emotional. You have the emotional feelings of what she was feeling, the environment that she was in, and her chemical is the DNA, is the epigenetics. And there's where karma lies. That's how we get the karma. Then we have the first seven years. We come in, universe only knows yes. So we're babies. We get pissed when we don't get what we want because we're like, we just came from a space where universe only knows yes. Why are you telling me no? Yeah. So we come in and for seven years, we have to learn how to operate these bodies and we have to learn how to do all these things. So how do we do that? We do it by watching. When mom does this, dad does this. When I want this, I do this. When I want to do this, that's how I do it. And they start watching. And every time they watch, a neuropathway is connected and they connect their spirit into their brain. And that master computer is being created. So the first seven years, literally, it doesn't matter what you say. Monkey see, monkey do, period. You want your children to change their behavior? You better change yours because that's how it happens. So your first seven years, we're learning how to respond, how to operate, how to treat another human being, how to do everything. First set of programs installed. 
Then we go into the second seven years, which is eight to 14. This is where our emotions are developed. How do I respond? Right? How do I respond when I'm angry? How do I respond when I'm sad? Is it okay to cry? Is it okay to be mad? Is it okay to be frustrated? We look to our parents, whoever's in our environment. When mommy's sad, she drinks or she hides. When daddy's angry, he yells or he beats. You see the connection? where the children are literally watching and learning from its environment. Now, please don't go into judgment mode, you guys, as you're listening to this, because <laughs> I did the same crap when I was a parent and my parent, you know, it's, it's until you know better, you have to give yourself grace. So then you go into the third cycle, which is where we develop the brain. The brain comes into, I'm going to, this is the finishing of the development of brain. This is where we learn to think for ourselves. This is when we learn how to, live independently from our parents. So we start creating that separation. We start rebelling. But again, this is when we're like, okay, how do I think for myself? Has my mom been doing everything for me? Has my dad been doing everything for me? Do I know how to do anything? Do I want to? Or am I like, I don't want to do anything because it'll all be done for me. So I'm not going to think for myself. I'm just going to say, mother, may I? And, you know, and never take responsibility for my life. And so your brain is developed. And then so this is when you're fully incarnated, when you hit 21 and you've learned these things. But to be honest, we have a ton of adults walking around who are still children because they never fully incarnated. They never fully took responsibility and really moved through those cycles. And this is what we're here. You know, a lot of times, if you guys have heard the term new earth and five dimensional living, all of that is about creating a whole new program because our children will become the new leaders and we need to show them how to do that by being the change ourselves. And that's why we come first because now once you hit that 21 mark, now that cycle from one to three is going to repeat. repeat. <laughs> and then, it, you know, you're going to keep going. And what I also find is even though that's a big root program, you know, that there are lots of little mini ones and it always comes down to how you respond and seeing who you become and what happens to you and what do you feel and it it's this is why being an observer of your life and your reality and never see, taking things personally or being a victim of what's happening is such an empowerful it's such a powerful thing when you can you can pull yourself back it's almost like zooming out and saying wait a minute all right this feels overwhelming and it feels really scary or really um, over emotional. But right now, all I need to do is breathe. Take a breath. I just need to breathe right now. I need to look around me and I need to say, I am safe. If you are right. Sometimes you might not be. And in those moments, then you use uh, your instincts, your survival instincts. These are like the ego instincts. It's okay to use those. It's okay to escape when you need to escape. It's okay to do whatever you need to do to survive while you're in it. But once you're out of it, you are responsible for your reality. And now you have to choose how you're going to respond now that you've taken a breath. But we have to live for our nervous system. Right. Let's say like a real life example, right? Like, let's say your house is flooding. You live near a river. The river's crest, like it's coming up. It's coming into your house. You need to take care of your business yep. first. You need to get your pets. You need to get your kids. You need to get your, I don't know, your insurance paperwork in the blue folder, you know, by the door as you get out, you know, um, you get to higher ground, you get to your mother-in-law's house or what the fuck ever. You're there for three days. You're surviving somehow in that time yeah. when things are calm again, you know, it's like, yes, when, when you can sit and like, when you can have that moment where I, I am safe. 
Well, you and know. you don't even have to wait that long. I mean, like, for right. example. Yeah, it could be a day yeah. or something. Like, right. we yeah. had Hurricane Florence here, and this was projected to be a category. It actually became a Category 5. And we hadn't had anything bigger than, I think, uh, a two or a three that made landfall in forever, you know. Uh, so this was this could have wiped out our community, like literally like it did the panhandle of Florida, like it could have wiped us out. And so we were we were given evacuation orders. And that's a scary thing when you're told to evacuate because you're like, I don't know if I'm coming back to my home again. I don't know if it will be here. So in that moment, that panic sets in and, and that's the survival instincts. I mean, go back to the caveman days. Those survival instincts were given to you so that you didn't get eaten by a bear or a tiger, right? So that you could find food, so you could find danger. But nowadays the danger is I'm out of money, right? This person's triggering me, right? So our, our wounds have changed, our triggers have changed, our survival instincts have changed from, from, a, from a lion about to eat me to, oh my God, I have $5 in my bank. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage payment next month, you know? So this hurricane comes in and, and, and it's projected to come in. And so I said, you know, we have, we made a pack as a family that if it's a, it's a three or above, we would evacuate two or under, we would, we would stay. Um, and so we started packing up two vehicles, all the animals, all the things. Um, I ended up crystal gridding my property. You know, I made peace with it may not be here. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But this whole time, my adrenaline is pumping. You know? Yeah, it's here. Yeah, right? and this like storm yeah. is still days away, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny is you watch. This is why I don't watch the news anymore, or or any really. I I'm I get my news in a very safe way, because the media hypes stuff up. So for like two weeks now, the media has been pumping us with the storms coming. It's going to wipe us out with be prepared. And so at this point I had been watching all of this coverage and I'm just feeling everybody's anxiety because now it's personal. So all that energy's on me. I'm feeling overwhelmed. My, my blood's pumping. So we drive eight hours to Charlotte and stay at a friend's house um, that was vacant and stayed there. Literally, this place was completely vacant. We were sleeping bagging it, you know, using our computer as a TV. But once we got there, so that whole drive, you're still feeling the emotions. There's animals, there's chaos, there's crap all over the place. <laughs> you got to pee every 10 minutes, you know, whatever. So eight hours later, oh, and I picked up my daughter from the airport on the way from San Diego. She flew in right in the midst of a hurricane. In the middle of all this. <laughs> so we get to that place and we get all our stuff out. And we have no idea how long we're going to be there. We don't know what's going to happen to our home. And it was in those moments where I was like, okay, I had to make a choice. I have a choice right now. I can stay and I have to monitor the news. I have to stress out about where the storm is, who's checking on my house. I can be in hypervigilance and control, or I can say, this is an adventure. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to just have fun with it. And in that choice, my kids made some of the best memories that they've ever had. We were not a fancy vacation. We were in a vacant house on a hill in a town we didn't know, but we knew somebody who was there. They fed us. They gave us free pizza. He had a little pizza shop. Um, it's called Woodstock, if you guys are ever in that area. Um, and it it was just, it, it, it was. His, my son's birthday was during that time. And you know how we celebrated? We went to the local mall. We rode up and down the escalator. We did weird things in the mall. We rode the stuffed animals. You know, and that storm sat and spun <laughs> for so, we were there for a week before the freaking storm hit. And then it hit at a category one, but it was because it stayed. 
and it didn't move and it was stationary. It was the worst hurricane we'd ever had. And so we came back to flood damage, all of that. And then that the next set of adrenaline kicks in. So when you're in the, in the event, when you're in it, you're not always going to see how to get out of it, but you still have a choice in that moment. Yes. Survive first, get to the place, get to the space of safety. And as soon as you're in that space of safety, remember that you have a choice. In that moment, you can see this as an adventure or you can go right into victim. It's, it's your choice. And neither is right or wrong, by the way. There is no right or wrong. It's, it, instead of right or wrong, it's possibility or opportunity. What possibility and opportunities do you have in front of you? What do you choose to do? Because there's always a choice. You always have a choice. This reminds me of a time uh, two years ago, my family went on a 30 day road trip in our motor home and there we're, there was a breakdown, uh, not a breakdown. We were in a parking lot. We were trying to leave the parking lot. The motor home wouldn't go, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and my husband and I have such per like perfect. No, that's fucking terrible word. That's not what I mean. We have a practiced. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. A practiced response where his is like, okay problem i gotta fix this mine is like kids what are we gonna do and i was like okay like i have to let it assess for like 10 minutes like how serious is this is this gonna be over in like 30 minutes or is this gonna be like three days yeah. you know and it was like 10 minutes later i was like okay swimsuits right. we're going to the pool you know what i mean like we're going to the pool this is gonna be longer than 10 minutes papa's got this right we're not sitting here and gonna stress with you exactly we're you know because that adds to it like he's got this he's gonna get this we're not gonna be stuck in this fucking parking lot forever it would have been nice kind of actually right you know some of the best <laughs> memories are made when you're stuck you guys yes yes <laughs> when and just like you said about your son's birthday he that's the birthday he's gonna remember forever Ever. the escalator birthday you know and my kids i'm trying to i'm trying to think of one right now but that's what they always remember yeah. is is the fucked up things the things that were <laughs> you know? fucked up to us but uh-huh we were able to create an adventure out of it. And so they remember the adventure because, you know, and that's what I always tell people. I call it my war stories because you think about, I have a lot of military people in my family and it's like, you think they can relive something that happened in world war two. Like it was yesterday. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was a defining moment in their life. And so I always tell people when you're stuck, there's two things when you're stuck. Number one, it's a mental block means you are so zoomed in on the problem. You couldn't see a solution if it bit you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a very relevant point right now. Yeah. You have to, you're so zoomed in, right? And so when you think about it, oh my God. So when you're in that chaos and you're overwhelmed and your mind's running wild, just close your eyes and say, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. And just imagine, just use your imagination, you guys. That is your portal to escape and find solutions. If you're going to escape, go into your imagination. And so you go in there and you just say, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. And just imagine that you're zooming out and you're looking at it. And then you're not, because I would get so zoomed in that the words were like blurry. I couldn't see, know what was happening right to left. And so when you zoom out and when you do that, it's almost like your body goes into observation mode and you're able to kind of make space. And that's what it is. It's making space in your body if you want to thrive, if you want to have a free life, if you want to live and feel like you're not trapped or, or stuck or 
you know, a, a victim of your circumstances, it's because you have trapped emotions inside of you. So when you feel that, just know, okay, I feel trapped. I feel blocked. I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed. I'm consumed. That means something is consuming you. Something is weighing you down. Something is, is anchoring you and it's not good. So that is your cue to zoom out and sit and be with and get into that observer mode and really allow yourself to just witness it and just be like, wow, okay, so let me just see what's happening here. Because that's the, you can talk about mindset for hours and days, but when it comes down to it, you're just so far into it that you couldn't see the solution if you wanted to. So you have to, you have to zoom out, you have to set it down and you have to like, just give yourself a moment to breathe. It's like when you lose your keys, you can walk around the house all the time cussing. Where are my keys? Where did I put them? Who hit them? Who I always fucking lose them. And you're yeah. going crazy and you're pulling your hair out and you're like, oh my God, I can't find them. The minute you set down and surrender and say, all right, I don't know where they are. I'm not quitting, but I'm just sitting here going, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I know where they are, right? It came in. You were so zoomed in on the problem. You couldn't see the solution that was sitting right there. Yeah. It's taking the energy. It's taking it all. So how, like, cause I feel like you had this, we, we, we talked like, uh, you know, timeline and then we got into like bigger topics. Like, how did you, how did you get from, you know, those dark time, dark days, dark, I was saying days and times all at once, the dime, <laughs> there you go. the dark times <laughs> to this. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you said, it wasn't overnight, no. but like what I always, I always want to share with people who are listening, like what worked for you? Cause it might work for them. Yeah. You know, did you dream journal? Did you therapy? Did you, you know, uh, wh whatever, you know? So the first thing that, um, the first thing that showed up for me was Gabby Bernstein, to be honest. Like I, I said, I need help. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I had never really had owned the fact that I had been in the space before. And I said, I don't, I, I needed help. And so I, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know who really anybody was in self-development. It wasn't really something that I dived into. I've always been spiritual um, and all of that. I loved, I was obsessed with Sylvia Brown as a kid, um, but I never really um, did personal development work. Right. And so I said, I need help. Next thing you know, this woman named Gabby shows up on my timeline and I'm like, oh, who's this? And I start following her and, and just listening to her tips about mindset and stuff and journaling. And I had never journaled and she's talking about meditation. I'd never meditated. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm spiritual anyway. And I, you know, I, and what that means, spirituality to me means that I'm multidimensional. I'm not religious. I'm not uh, new age or anything like that. I'm just open. Spiritual to me means I'm open to possibilities, right? Not one static thing. So I said, okay. So one of the things that I did because this was a, in the beginning, it was very day by day. It was get out of bed. It was put something, put makeup on my face, brighten my face, start moving my body, right? So anytime you're in a really low place, you have to really focus on the self-care. Remember the basics. Yeah, it is the basics. I, I made a list of that during this pandemic time because it was very seriously economic impacts on my husband and I, whatever. I made a list. It's posted out there. It's like, wash your face. Right. You know, just the basics to remind myself, like take your vitamins. Because this is a great example. When when you lose your job or you're told you can't leave your house or whatever, and now you're like, well, why do I have to get dressed? And why do I have to put makeup on? And why do I have to brush my hair? Why do I have to brush my teeth? You know, whatever. I'm just going to sit here and Netflix all day. You guys will find yourself in a deep depression pretty soon. 
Yep, you got and and it it sounds so silly, but like I, I talked about it in a previous episode, is like if you need if you can recognize that you're in that spot, like you said you were, where you needed to note that said like get yep. up, even if all you do is get up, get dressed, and make breakfast yep. that day. Take start one there step and in, in front of the other, and don't put expectations or pressures on yourself. But here is the key. Here is the key. It's commitment. And I'm going to tell you this, a lot of people have the wound of abandonment, but what they don't understand is the reason why that wound is so prevalent in their life, why people abandon them, why people don't show up for them, why people aren't accountable, why people, you know, drop and, and, and do ridiculous things is because you have abandoned yourself. If someone or something is abandoning in your life, it's not showing up for you. You need to find it in yourself. And that's always the first thing. And so for me, I had abandoned myself. So I had to start showing up for myself. I got up, I had to basics, brush my hair, brush my teeth, put clothes on, right? And then start wearing makeup and start looking at myself going, oh, I look pretty today. You know, you have to start doing those small things that get, it's like Stella got her groove back, right? You have to get your energy back. And then once you start doing that, now, once you find that life in you again, Now you can start doing the work, okay? And so for me, um, eventually I'll write a book about this this whole 40-day practice. But for me, what it started was, as I said, okay, um, Gabby had a book called Make, I think it was Make Cause Miracles, and it was a 40-day practice. And I went through it and I was like, nah, this was okay. And I got the premise of it, but I was like, I don't know, something wasn't right for me. And so I said, what do I need? And at the time I was very much an all or nothing kind of person, right? There was no gray area for me. And so I was like, I'm going all in. And I'm still that way in in the form of when I commit to something, there's no going back for me. So I committed to myself, you guys, this was the scariest thing. I've read that first page of my journal to people so many times, you know, in my communities. And I I said, you know, I made this commitment that I was going to meditate every day. I was going to, let me, let me, let me say, right. I prayed. So I started my, my day by prayer. I got up, got myself together. I made a little altar and it had just some candles and, and some things that, that made me feel good, you know? And I sat there and I had this little tiny prayer book and I wasn't religious, but there were certain prayers that always spoke to me. And I, I, I would just open it like an Oracle. I would just say, what's today? And I would just open a page and I would read it. Um, and I would just give appreciation and thanks that I was even alive. And I had survived so much of my life. And um, and then I would meditate. And I didn't know what how to do that. So I started by listening to guided meditations. And I, I started small, five minutes, 10 minutes. And I worked my way up. But every day, this was my routine. And then after I did that, I journaled. And I never journaled before. And so I was like, I don't know what to write. So I just started writing whatever. And next thing you know, pages later, I had poured out all this stuff. Um, and in that 40 day time, I, I mean, I went hardcore, (laughs) I gave up alcohol. I gave up, um, I was already living a keto based life most of the time anyway, but I, I gave up any cheat days and I, I went whole, like full on in and I moved my body every day. And that's a lot. If you think about it, that's a lot to do, but when you are rebuilding yourself and you're taking back your life, that requires a whole new routine a whole new structure. You cannot use what, what worked before because it won't work. If again. it's not, if it's not challenging you, it's not changing. Exactly. You. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here I, I, so the first day 
I'm, I'm sitting here and I had made it public. Um, on, I was like, I'm, I'm really going to put myself out there for 40 days. I'm going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh, I don't know what the hell I just did. <laughs> so here I am day one, I'm writing in my journal. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun because tomorrow I'm going to fail and everybody's going to know I'm a failure and everybody's going to see that I didn't, I couldn't do it. It's going to be too hard. And the first week was horrific. It was like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Why did I commit to this? But you know what? I, I showed up for myself. I didn't quit. I committed. And so by week two and three, I was starting to really see some deep stuff coming up in me. And by week four, it was almost completely a habit at this point. And I kept going. And it became my new routine. And any time moving forward that I got stuck or I felt like I was stuck and spinning, I went back to that. And I said, okay, 40 days. 40 days is a reset. 40 days. Here we go. And for 40 days, this is going to be my routine. Here we go. And yep. I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm going to, I'm going to limit. And now that I'm in business for myself and I was back then I was an empowerment coach, but I was, um, trying to empower myself back then, you know, by being there for other people, not always the best way, but it worked out for me. But I would do 40 days. I would, I would, tune out social media, except for my community. Um, I limited the girlfriends and people I talked to. I, I got rid of the gossip. I got rid of the blame game. I got rid of all of that. I checked my diet. I went back to, you know, doing all of those things. And every time until recently, I don't have to do that anymore, but that's what I did is I would go through these intense 40 day resets. And that doesn't mean that you still can't work and you still can't be a mom. Yes. It's going to take a couple of hours of your day. Maybe for you, it's only an hour. But if you want to create change in your life, you have to consistently show up for yourself, even when you don't want to do it. Because here's the thing, your, what you resist is your greatest potential. Yes. What you yeah. resist is exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. So the more resistant you become to it, the further you, you go, you come to getting the solution to the problem that you've been seeking. So instead, when that thing comes up, and so one of the days that still happen. Because I had made a commitment to myself that every day I was going to work out every single day. So some days that means I'm doing very light stretching and some days I'm full blown, but every day I show up for myself. Right. But those days where I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to work out. I'm like, Oh, I'm really need to work out then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yep. Yes. 100%. So those, yep, that's I know. where the magic lies. The, the possibilities, the opportunities are all in your resistance. It's all in the things that you're avoiding. It's all in the things that you're repressing. If you can just lean in, that darkness will be illuminated by your own light. You're just afraid to feel what may or may not happen. So the very first thing you've got to do then is get comfortable feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that will save you right there. I mean, there's so many right. little small nuggets you could take from this, but I mean, that's how I did it though. That was my, that first 40 days changed my life completely. I want to, um, just question, sure. um, in those 40 days, like you said, you've got to show up for yourself. Cause I, what I see a lot is like an accountability partner or mm -hmm. like, a uh, do you know, uh -huh, like I exercise with my friend and we, you know, like I really, kind of not cringe, but I'm, I'm like, mm, girl, you got to do it for yourself. It's ego. Yeah. You got to do it for yourself. When you have to have someone else there with you, when they're not there, are you still going to do it? 
Because the thing is, is the reason why any of this stuff happens is because you don't trust yourself. You don't believe in yourself, right? Um, you're not committed to yourself. So it's like you are doing it for other people. You're, you're doing it for a purpose outside of you. So I have the same thing. I had a couple of people join a course recently and the first things that they put in there was I need an accountability partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I need an accountability partner. And, I, and you know what? If that's where you are, that's okay. Sure. That's okay. If that's what gets you to start right. going. And I'm never going to say that's wrong because in the beginning, sometimes it really is helpful to have somebody pushing you. To kickstart your engine right. off. Yeah. Because the whole, the whole, the whole human experience is about self-realization, self-empowerment. It's about you being that motor of your life and not being um, controlled by other people outside of your being. You know, last year I launched the the Soul Evolution Movement and it uses the hashtag I am awake because I saw I've been preparing for this pandemic and this shift for, for a few years now. And so last year on Lionsgate, which is 8-8, we, I launched the Soul Evolution Movement and I said, I am awake. And I said, what does I am awake mean to me? And it meant that I'm not, if the government stops my food supply, I will start growing my own food. If I don't like my children going to public schools because of how they teach, I will teach them at home. It's, it was showing people that you are in control of your reality and the government or the teachers, or your bosses, or whatever that thing is that you are complaining about, right? If you don't like the way that things are going in our society, in our world, then you have to be the change. And people say, well, I can't, I can't change the government. No, you can't, but you can change, sure as hell change how you respond to them. So if you're in fear and you're like, oh, I can't go out without a mask, or I can't do this, or I have to do that because the government said so, what you're saying is, is here's my power. You decide my life. And I say, I call bullshit. And I said, no, I knew this was coming. And so I started this movement and I said, the soul evolution is, is the world, this new earth. All of this is us saying, you will not trap me. You will not take my power away. You will not take my rights away. I am a human. I had this experience. And that means that whatever has been, I have been using and accessing outside of myself, I can create for myself right here because we are creator beings. Everything from the mouse to the pen, to the scissors, to the bed. I mean, everything, think about it, everything in your life, somebody felt a need or desire for, and they went and created it, right? So this, this downtime that we've had, how many people are not going to go back to their jobs because they have found the passion of their life and they're out? Oh, I've wondered. Yeah. I've wondered that. I know I have a friend who's going to move soon yeah. because, you know, husband lost his job and they're now. And what's so funny is she's been planning this like they were going to execute this plan when they had it all set up. And then it was like, oh, yeah. Hold my <laughs> and that's the thing. What are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to try to just survive and do the bare minimum and live in that fear and that that anxiety? Or are you going to choose to thrive? Are you going to say, well, that sucks that this is happening. And yes, maybe I can't do all those things, but I can do them in my mind or I can go and thrive in any way I can. I can create my reality any way I can. You know, my thing is, is I, I got a gym membership because I was like, I want to leave my home. I work from my home. I'm going to leave my home and work out. So when they took the gym away from me, I was heartbroken. I was like, oh my God, I want my gym. And then I was like, okay, what are we going to do? And we're going to thrive. So I've been doing yoga. I've been doing walking. And yes, I want to get back to the gym. But I was like, I can't stop showing up for myself because somebody told me I can't go. Right. You don't right. get to tell me. I'm going to keep going. 
And so whenever you feel, when you're watching all this stuff play out, or maybe there's something in your life, you know, and there's, there's a lot of people who are trapped in, in terrible marriages and children that are in terrible situations that are locked in their homes right now that can't get out. We need to get back out into the, into the public. We need to open the world back up. But until we can do that, you guys have to find a way to thrive within any set of circumstances, right? Because if you think about it, we're mainly water. So use this as an example. If you look at a Louisiana levee, the levee is the structure. It is the foundation. It is what contains the water. Our body is our structure. It is made up of who we are. What are your values? What are the things you love? What are the things you hate? What are the things you won't tolerate? What are the things that make you thrive? Get super clear on who you are. That is your boundary. That is in your bones and your structure. Once you have that structure set, now you can flow anything you want. So that water inside of you, those emotions inside of you, they can still thrive. They can still flow. You don't have to be like, well, my water's trapped. It's going to stay stagnant. It's going to start growing shit. I'm going to end up with cancer and all these things because I didn't move. So it's, it's, it's a weird example, but the point is, is your body, your environment is your structure and how you flow in that structure is in your control. Nobody else's until you give it to them. So if you don't like what's happening, stop giving them your power by bitching about it, by complaining about it, by blasting it all over social media. Instead, show the world how you're thriving in it. Show them how you're having fun in your house, how you're building forts and going on walks and playing in your imagination. Look at these things. You always have a choice of how you flow inside of your own structure until you give away your power. Basically, just give it all your water. And now you're just barren. And you're just saying, mother, may I? Can I have? Is it okay? No. It, of course it's okay. Take what you need. Create what you need. You know? So we always have that. I don't, we got really off track, but <laughs> it tends to happen. Yes. That's fine. Gosh, I just love hearing um, people's like different uh, inspiration right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so in the subject of, you know, I think you've, you've hit on some of it, but I want to make sure we go over this before we end is like what your work is and what you now do. Um, because you said you work for yourself and you work for yourself in a different capacity than you did a couple years ago. So tell us a little bit about that. So my focus today is about making space inside of others helping them to make space inside of others, I should say, and learning how to hold space for yourself so that you can hold space for another person. Um, and we do that through facing the trauma um, and making that space, giving it light, freeing it, and then rebuilding this structure to be made up of the very things that you are seeking, right? So and people know that. I always say this, the perfect relationship you want or whatever, what are their qualities? The perfect mother, the perfect father, what are their qualities? You have to look at that. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to, what do you want to stand for? And so it's a matter of making that space inside of people. So I specialize in trauma. I specialize in helping people move through what I call the stages of a spiritual awakening, which we're going through on a collective level. People are waking up like big time. And a lot of people get weirded out by that. They're like, well, I don't want to be all woo woo and weird. Well, you don't have to be. I actually, I'm people call, I'm, I have two names that I, people have tagged me, the soul shaman and woo woo queen, because I am a shaman too, but I like all that stuff. But here's the thing. When we first wake up, right. It's, it's basically because our mind has been blown and we can't understand. And when that happens, 
we immediately drop into our heart. And when we drop into our heart, we begin to become aware of things that were always there, but we weren't aware of it before. And so a spiritual awakening is all that is, is about you becoming more aware of yourself. That's all it is, you guys. Yes. Could you become a medium? Sure. Because we all have all of these gifts. They live inside of us. There's a choice to activate them. So for me, when I went through my awakening, I was a top-down person. I got shiny object syndrome. I got sidetracked by, oh, there's a person here that I have, nobody else can see that I want to talk to. And there's this and there's this. And so I learned about all those modalities. And I started becoming more and more aware while still holding all of the trauma and density. So my awakening became really painful. And so I have made it my mission to be a bottom up teacher, meaning you want to become a medium. You want to open your gifts. You want to see clairvoyantly. You want to hear, you want to all these things. You have to make the space in your body. When you make the space, the light can enter because our bodies are made of light. So you have to make that space, allow that light to enter. And all you're doing when you're doing that is with, when that's, when that density is gone, it's like taking, picking up the bricks and finding gold buried in the dirt underneath it. I mean, that's literally what it is. And so I always tell people, if you want to do this, you don't need to go take a Reiki course. You don't need to take a mediumship course right now. What you need to do is make space inside of you to realize how powerful you are, because it doesn't matter. All of those things are tools to help you discover more about yourself. And once you come into that self-realization and you start making that space, your story, your path, from surviving to thriving becomes the very thing. This always happens. That becomes, that's your mission. When you, when you shift gears and you go from, I'm done surviving, it's time to thrive. How do I get there? From A to B, that's what you're here to help. Whether that means through being a school teacher, from just being a mom that's leading by example, or if it means that you're a coach or you're a shaman or you're a healer or whatever, right? It doesn't matter. Even, even podcast radio show hosts, right? That's part of your yep. thing. So I know many people who they started their journeys out by interviewing people to learn all the stuff that they couldn't afford, right? And, and that became their thing and they carried it forward. So, I mean, today my, my specialty is trauma and I specialize in creating, um, helping people create that change within themselves so that they can be the change that they want to see in the world. So I get a lot of people who are like, I'm waking up or I, I've been on my journey for a little while, you know, or I have all this trauma and I'm feeling the call. I'm hearing the call and I want to show up in the world and I say, okay. And I bring them in. And so I have a couple of courses and stuff, but my joy comes from private mentorship. It's, it's from holding the holding space for the people and allowing them to feel safe, to let their guard down so that they can release. Because if you're not in a safe place and you're not in a safe relationship, you're never going to get all of it. Uh, amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's the transition from like in your story, you know, uh, the story of your life, um, transitioning from the, um, there's all the characters we can play, the victim, the villain, the hero. And then that last one, which doesn't get talked about very much, the guide. Yeah. 
It's getting to that guide mm-hmm. spot. And not every, I think we talked about this earlier, is not everybody's going to get to be the guide. You know, but you're always the guide if you think about it. I mean, for, yes, like, like you yeah. said, for like for your children and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's getting, um, I just heard that a couple of weeks ago. There was a, some writer talking about those and, and he talked about the guide and I was like, oh, that's what I'm fucking doing yeah. now. I get it. Like, I get it. It was the way I call it. Like, when I got to the point where I could be like, okay, now I'm going to turn around and tell you what I've been through. Yes. So, so like, if you, you need some guidance and it's like, oh, guide. Because I people relate yeah. to stories. So I could come on here and teach you guys all of the fundamentals and you'd be like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. But when you, but without your yeah, story, you bring in your emotion, your depth. And so this is the thing I get all the time because I'm not like a lot of other spiritual teachers. I don't consider myself like in, in any type of classification, but what I am is authentic and I am very vulnerable and very real. Now I will tell you, I don't go into my problem while I'm in the problem. I see that happen. I don't recommend it. When I get through the other side of my problem and I have, I have worked my navigated my way through, I am always very open and vulnerable with my audience. And I tell them because the number one thing that people forget is we're not, when we step into the guide role, we're not here to be perfect. We don't know it all. We're here to be a guide for you. And if our journey is not a match to what you need. If it doesn't resonate, that's okay. And this is why there can be a million people who do the exact same thing I do. And still I have no competition. Why? Because there's going to be certain people who resonate with my story, with my path, with what I teach, and it's going to be an energetic match. And that's why there's no need for competition or any of those things, because there are certain people that are literally waiting for you to activate and come online and say, I'm going to be the light now. And so it's a matter of just being the change. I tell people, if you're watching the news, this is, and I know we have to wrap, but let me, I'm going to tell the story real quick because I, I want to bring a light to this. So a couple of years ago, I don't even know how long ago it was, there was this horrendous story about these parents that had all these kids and they had them like chained up in a house that was gross. Do you remember in, that story? In California? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they were like... F- Five to 25. Yeah. yeah. And they were like chained Ages. things and the house yeah. was slum. Yeah. It was yeah. terrible, right? So the parents oh, were arrested. Yeah. The kids were rescued, all this stuff. And so we're watching it on the news and I'm in my pantry and my husband's sitting on the couch and, and he's like, I hope they get, you know, what they, I hope they torture the parents the way that they tortured the kids and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just listening to him. And in my heart, I was thinking, I wonder what those parents went through. I wonder what kind of pain they are in to have done that to their own children. I didn't go into victim mode or I need to punish you because that's not what we're here for. I saw that and I had compassion for the parents. And I had compassion in that moment. And I thought, man, they had to have really been in a really bad place emotionally and mentally to want to do that to somebody. They had to have really had some major stuff happen to them. But the reason why I share this is to you is because when we watch the news and we watch these horrible things, just because we're sitting alone in our house or we're sitting with our loved ones, then when we respond from a place of love, the world feels it. So I want you guys to really understand that because if you're in your own home and you're sitting there screaming at the TV, Trump this or damn this or why did that happen or that person needs to burn in hell, you are contributing to the problem. When we become the change, that means we become the change behind closed doors when we're alone and when we're in front of millions of people. 
So if you want to be the change, that means you have to make space inside of you. And then when that terrible news is announced or that story or that tragedy happens, you have the ability to respond from a place of love or at least neutrality, because that is the shift that will change the world. It's when everybody collectively, we talk about collectives, right? If the whole world's in fear, you're going to feel it. If the whole world's in love, you're going to feel it. So your response is what will change that. And you're like, oh, I'm just one person. Well, what if everybody said that? Could you imagine? We're all one person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the moral of all of this is learning to take responsibility for ourselves, for our thoughts, for our emotions, for our triggers, for our life, for our finances, for our relationships, for our children. We take responsibility. We set the precedent for how anybody treats us. We do it individually. And that's where our power lies. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so much good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where, where can people, you know, connect with you? Like, let's hear your website, your, all your social media stuff. So you can go to johannaburkhart.com. There's an H in there. It's J-O-H-A-N-N-A. And then um, Burkhart is B-U-R-K-H-A-R-D-T. I had to think about that for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But you can search on social media, Johanna Burkhart. Um, I have uh, the official uh, Johanna Burkhart in the Soul Evolution on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I have a huge library on YouTube. Um, I do very deep um, energetic healings. I work with DNA. And so I have all kinds of spiritual teachings, this kind of talk, meditations, transmissions, all of that on YouTube. Um, so there's a whole thing over there for that. I saw you're on Insight Timer. I've got to yes. find you on that. That's that's my meditation app. And I was like, she's a teacher yeah. over there? Or, so or Beth, I yeah. don't, um, I have actually, I haven't put anything up in a while, but I started moving stuff over to Insight Timer because honestly, you guys, I think Facebook's probably going to end up getting phased out sooner than later. But, and I wanted to, to reach, you know, more people. So yes, I am on insight timer too. And, um, you know, I just anywhere, that's my meditation, anywhere I can That's go. my meditation app. Yeah. <laughs> but you can just search my name and, and find me anywhere. I'm, I'm sure that you will have the links if, if you guys want to go and check it out. But, um, you know, I have a little Facebook group and then I have a paid membership and I have, you know, some courses, but really it's, it's just come get to know me, come hang out in my energy and my tribe and my people's and, and, and just um, be ready to experience authenticity and vulnerability and realness. I don't sugarcoat anything. I don't try to fit anybody else's box. I am me. And if you don't like it, that's okay with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. I think that's a perfect spot to yes. end. So thank you all so much. And um, I remind everybody at the end of the episode that I am um, on social media as well. And I have a website and it's all LaJoy Society, L-A-J-O-Y-E-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y.com or LaJoy Society is all the usernames on all the social medias. Everything up to this point has led me here and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. sense felt so wrong and out of place now seem to fit perfectly to tell a story that was meant to be I can finally sing I've 
Chances taken, choices made Cards left on tables and cards played And no one knows How will it go? Questions burning in the mind Answers may not be there to find So paint the picture